Via Hemp, let's talk about it. Via Hemp offers THC and non-TH craft cannabis experiences. Now, I love a non-THC option when it comes to your overall wellness. I'm talking sleep aid, maybe anxiety if you have that. Well, that's where Via comes into play. And did you know even a non-THC option if you're doing fertility or IVF can be helpful? Look into that. Well, Via is incredible. You got to be 21 plus. You can get 15% off with my exclusive code TSFS when you go to viahemp, V-I-I-A, hemp.com. They have all kinds of lifestyle products. And like I said, the best part is with the THC or without, so you don't have the buzzy buzzy. Don't you love my cannabis lingo? I mean, the buzzy buzzy. Anyway, I'm unique. What can I say? Look, order now. You're going to love Via Hemp. Use the code TSFS to receive 15% off and a one-time free sample of their award-winning gummies, 21 plus. That's viahemp.com and use the code TSFS at checkout. Support the show. Tell them I sent you and enhance your everyday life with Via Hemp. Summer is almost here. Don't you want to go to the beach with thicker, gorgeous, beautiful locks and everyone goes, hey, I love your hair. And you go, Nutrafol, baby. You know, something along that lines. Well, take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering my listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and you enter the promo code TSFS. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. I recommend it. I've been taking Nutrafol for years. It's how I got my hair back thicker and not falling out in chunks after I had KJ. Now it's your turn. Nutrafol has been on with me for years, and that's because you all continue to buy, and it really works. I love it. Now it's your turn to love it too. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com with the promo code T-S-F-S. That's Nutrafol.com with the promo code T-S-F-S. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Wow, wow, wow. You guys are amazing. Uh, Welcome to the Sarah Frazier Show podcast. I'm Sarah Frazier. A lot of you discovering this podcast for the very first time, thanks to our girl, Natasha Alisa. You all know Natasha. She is a mom, a blogger, most famously Kane's ex-wife from the radio. And for years, you heard her on the radio show with us. And some people are even like, who's Kane? Well, Kane was a very popular and famous radio personality in Washington, D.C. for years. And I was lucky enough to co-host with him for many of those. So Natasha and I did a two-part series last week. If you missed it, you're here at the podcast. You can just scroll back to next week. You'll see it in two parts and get caught up. It was so vulnerable and it just touched so many of you guys. The response we never anticipated, over 200,000 downloads and listens in a week. And you all said, look, we have more questions. We want more advice from Natasha. So here's our part three. We try to answer everything you wanted to know from, um, you guys wanted to know what Natasha wishes she knew about the family court system back then when she was getting divorced with Kane, uh, questions about addiction, whether it's with a spouse or a loved one. 
He wanted to know if Kane knew he was sick. Um, and then things like who we still speak to from the Kane show. Um, also, so many of you, we got tons and tons of messages about Kane and the girl's dog, Skittles, who is with intern John, and a lot of who's a radio personality. And a lot of people wanted to know how that came about. So here you're in for it over an hour. Um, we answer as many questions, follow up questions that you guys had. And Natasha and I are just open to seeing where this goes. So if if you want more, please, please, please reach out to Miss Ms. Pink Monster on Instagram at the Sarah Fraser Show. You can hop in our DMs, and we're not sure if it's a continuing podcast or um, you know Natasha's thinking about some other things. So please let us know if you'd like to hear more. And here's Natasha Alisa. Did we did we really think we would be doing a part three? Did we think? Uh. In my dreams, Sarah, in my dreams. I mean, we knew we wanted this to resonate. Look, I've got like all these notes and oh my God. I mean, we wanted this interview to resonate with people, but did you anticipate the reaction? Oh my gosh. I, no, no. I mean, you and I talked about this beforehand that I was like, I, I hope this comes across well. I hope maybe a few hundred people listen, you know, or have some sort of reaction to it. But no, when you told me like the amount of downloads we've had and how that compares to other podcasts around the world, I still cannot wrap my little feeble brain around it. We were trending in the top 10 listen to podcasts in the world with like Jon Stewart in the top 10 for TV and film. You know, every everything has a different category on Apple podcasts. You know, if you're in true crime or you're in, but I, I obviously do like television, film, pop culture. We were trending next to basically John Stewart. I think the show is still trending. I mean, I literally, I told you 200,000 downloads in like three days. That's, I've never had any, anything close to that ever before. It's crazy. That is insane. Insane. Like beyond my wildest dreams, but I couldn't be happier about it. I couldn't be happier that people want to hear more. You know, I'm so happy to be back reunited with you again, my sweet friend. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. I, you know, like we said, right, in one of the, the, the episodes is the Kane show resonated with people. You resonated with people. And I mean, I have to tell you, like, listen, because I listened to our two-part series probably four times, like all the way oh, through. Me. Yeah. And it was like an intervention by God. I mean, I just feel like you and I really both have strong faith and we wanted it to kind of be this divine intervention. And it really was. And I have to tell you, for me, I mean, you just being so honest about your recovery journey. I mean, I just think people, oh my God, people shared that. They root for you now. I mean, I just think that was so, because it's just so brave to do. And anybody that knows someone that has, had an addiction, overcome it. And then just like when you're in recovery, all the things you learn about yourselves and the vulnerability, man, you, you resonated, you resonated. Uh, well, thank you. That was without a doubt, the scariest thing for me to share. Um, but the reason why it was so scary for me to share is because for some reason there is this stigma or this shame to being a mother and having some sort of addiction problem, whether it's alcohol or pills or drugs or whatever it is, for some reason, it's kind of a little more forgiving when it's the man. But when it's the mother, it's like you're supposed to somehow be beyond that, which is insane. It's could not be more bonkers. But that's why more women don't share and don't talk about it. And when you don't talk about it, you don't get help. So I figured I'd be a massive hypocrite if I said, you know, my whole thing about telling my story is I want to help others. And then I held that part back. Um, 
And the response that I've gotten on that has just, I mean, touched my heart. Um, Hearing from other, other women, other mothers, other wives who are either in recovery or some who are still struggling now and are ashamed and embarrassed to put out there that they need help. But oh us gosh. moms, I mean, we carry more than most people do. I mean, you know it. So oh, asking you, help is. Look, once you become a mother, you carry all your stuff plus all your child's. And then, you know, you're, because I do think just as women in general, we are wired to have that mother instinct, especially once you become a mother, you know, no matter what, but it is like life happens, right? To all of us all the time. So, you you know, if you are struggling, it's so hard because you just feel such guilt, like you should have it all together. And, you know, we talked about this social media, social media presents it like all these other moms have it all together. And my God, they have so much time. They're even creating all these perfect crafts and their house looks amazing. And, but like, you don't really know the truth. I mean, that could be the truth or that could be that she is struggling with an addiction behind the scenes that we don't even see, you know? So very much. So I think we, we take on more than we're actually capable of because we're trying to meet this impossible standard of being able to do it all and have it all. Um, and being when you push yourself, we're, we're not limitless. We are human beings. And especially for me, I realized in that time that I was trying to push myself to survive um, the divorce, survive the separation, survive the awful abusive environment I was finding myself in and still be like this amazing mom without asking for help from anybody to support me. And I just, I couldn't do it. And I ended up, um, you know, realizing that the the drugs, the pain medications gave me like a a false sense of peace. And, um, you know, like everything's chill. I can totally do this and shoves down the pain for a little while. Um, But just because you shove down the pain for a little bit doesn't mean it's not going to come rearing back 10 times as much um, afterwards. And you just dig yourself in a really deep pit. So, yeah, man, I, I, it's funny. I remember telling my mom when I was going to, to um, NA Narcotics Anonymous meetings and you do like the, the big book, you know, all the steps and everything. And I was like, mom, I think everybody should do this, whether you have a problem or not, because it's just about learning about yourself and who you are and how you cope and how you're going through this life. Um, it's so much more than just the whatever it is, if it's the alcohol or the pill, that's just the medium you know, that's that you're depending on the chemical, but it's it's about the pain deep down and and who you are and what your story is. And everybody has that. So, oh yeah, my God. I recommend I it to anybody. <laughs> I know they really need to do a 12 step program for just life for just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Even even if maybe you don't. And like for me, you know, I've always been fully transparent about my weight issues, you know, over the years, like, and going to therapy, I realized, you know, my catalyst was food. Like I was a binge eater. I always like, if I was stressed, I always ate. Like for me, food was the drug of like covering up the same thing. Like I, the therapist is the one that made me realize like I was in this incredibly just like crazy work environment on the cane show and like how abusive the behavior and toxic, she's the one. And then I was like, oh, that's why I'm binge eating. That's why I'm emotional eating. And then once I could see that, just like what you were saying, you know, you begin to unpack like, wait a minute, what's the emotion behind, why why is this happening? And then that behavior that that person is doing to me or I'm responding, is that right? 
you know, is that normal? What's going on with me? You know? Yeah, absolutely. What's going on with me and that, and what can I do about it now? You know, yeah. the getting to the rock bottom in your addiction where you, you ask for help is like, it's the rock bottom and the worst moment of your life, but it's also like being reborn. It is a clean slate where you get to figure out why do I do what I do? What in my environment is causing me, you know, so much pain. And I learned about boundaries when I was in rehab. I had never thought about boundaries before. And I'm allowed to do that. I'm allowed to keep certain people out. You know, I'm allowed to say no to pain that's being inflicted on me. I don't know why it just never dawned on me before. It doesn't. Right? We're not taught like boundaries. Really. Yes. Okay. So, you know, Natasha, obviously all this resonated so much with everybody and you and I talked and we said, let's do a part three and let's ask people what they still want to know. Unanswered questions that we need to answer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know about you, but I received hundreds, hundreds of messages um, with questions wanting to know more and wanting so many people were like, it was just too short. I didn't want it to end, which is I so know, sweet. Just like we were, love. we were talking for over two hours and like I, I needed a whole nother box of tissues. I'm like, I <laughs> we were drained. It was like, so, um, okay. So we obviously put out, you know, we asked people for questions and I thought we could kind of lay it out like this. You know, a lot of people, as you mentioned, struggling with addiction, have family members that are addiction. So I thought we could talk about questions there, questions around our mental health. We'll get into a little bit of Kane's show. A lot of people always want to know who you and I still talk to. Um, and then just some advice, advice, our goals, um, and maybe other feedback for people listening. How's that sound? Perfect. By the way, did you know, like, I, this is how uncool of a person I am now. I guess I'm old. Did you know they call it the tea when it's like the gossip? Yes, like I did know that. Girls get in the car and they're like, do you, do you want the tea for today? So I guess this will be the tea, that one part about who we still talk to and gossip from the Kane show. But I didn't know that. I'm so old. I love Ugh. you so much. You're like, have you heard about this thing called the tea? Like, yes. <laughs> I oh wake up my mother. <laughs> Well, you've had some other things going on in your life. So I think you're all set. I think you're all set. All right. So let's start with this. I loved Kayla's. Um, Kayla had submitted a video, which, of course, you and I both lost because we didn't screen record it. But it was fine. The, yeah. the gist of We're Kayla's. We're so on top of this. I know, I know. Speaking of not being current. Kayla had a great question for you. And she wanted to know, she said, you know, both of her parents have been in recovery for several years now. They've been sober. But she says as a daughter, you know, she's obviously been through a lot. And she wants to know, how do you best support somebody who is in recovery? Man, I loved her question. Um, I can't imagine having both of your parents in recovery. Um, so my heart goes out to Kayla, but it sounds like she's really in a strong, good place right now. So that is an excellent question. And I would say one of the best things you can do is give them time and space and listen. You know, be understanding that recovery is not a magic wand that all of a sudden you, you know, go to some meetings or you go do a 30-day program and now that's it. You're better. You know, it's you're not going to be have any more, you know, slips or ups and downs. It is very much three steps forward, two steps back. So you need to be patient. You need to wait. And uh, most of all, you need to just um, have non-judgmental support, you know, unconditional love that you're not judging this person. You are um, 
helping to move on from the past. You know, a lot of it is letting go of the hurt that this person has caused you, which I absolutely recommend, um, you know, going to like Al-Anon meetings. Um, you know, it's like 12 step meetings, but for the family members of the alcoholic or the addict, because um, then that'll help help you learn how to deal with a lot of the pain that this person inflicted on you and also um, what you can do, you know, to help the person um, in this journey. Cause it is, it's a long journey. It's not, there's no cure, you know, yeah. you don't, you don't just get better and then that's it. You'll struggle with it the rest of your life. Um, so just patience and unconditional support and, and also um, getting your own support. Oh my God. So important, right? So important. Um, this one was really great too. How did you both heal and does it get any easier? And this question was for you and me in the sense, I think of just, you know, obviously you divorced Kane. I left the show. Um, we both had tons of, you know, lots of anger and feelings towards that. So how did, and I'm curious, I wanted to ask you this too, because it took me a long time to really, I feel like heal from that experience. So how did you heal? And was there ever a point you felt it got easier? Man, that is a great question. And honestly, I'm, I'm still healing from it. There's, there's still a lot of, um, anger or pain that bubble up, bubbles up sometimes when, you know, I'll get triggered thinking about something from the past or finding out something even now that I didn't know about that he did. Um, so, wow. I mean, it takes, it takes time. You don't ever just fully get over it, but you know, I spoke about boundaries before and I think once I, it's interesting when, when you're in like this controlling abusive relationship, I don't know about you, but you almost get kind of addicted to the the pain and the drama and the way this person treats you. And you get stuck in this cycle where it's, it's kind of hard to break away from allowing it to continue to impact you and inflict uh, pain on you. So boundaries definitely gave me some space mm. to then heal. Like I, I needed to push away because it's, you know, it's just because, you get better and you want to heal doesn't mean the attacks aren't going to still keep coming, you know? So it's kind of giving yourself some space from that person as much as you can. Um, that was definitely what helped me the most. I was going to ask you that, like to elaborate on that, like with Kane, what boundaries did you create? Like once you were in recovery and I mean, I don't know. I feel like he had no boundaries with Sammy and Eric and myself and Mel. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, no, I feel I remember like once. Yeah, no, definitely. I remember my sponsor, <laughs> Um, cause telling me like, I, I, I want to take away your phone cause it was just nonstop mm -hmm. getting emails or text messages of, you know, the new thing that he was upset about the new thing that I went wrong. And every time I got one, like I lived in nonstop panic and anxiety and fear. And so I'd be doing all this great work healing myself. And then it'd be, you know, bring get a new email of, you know, him sucking me right back into that controlling relationship. Um, so she actually got to the point where she was like, okay, between these hours, I'm taking away your phone that, you know, either that or you turn your email off or you turn your text off from him. You put it on block from, you know, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then you have an hour where you deal with his crap, you deal with his drama, you go through the emails and the text, and then you shut it back down. Because there was something about just that he could reach me anytime. 
all day, all yeah. night. Like it was like I was at his beck and call to be hurt all over again. That that really kept me in it. That was probably one of the best best pieces of advice that I got. Oh my God. Um, well, look, for me, it was two things, right? I mean, finally, ah. it, it was, <laughs> did you, wait, did you drop the phone? phone fell over. Keep it up. Keep it up. We, oh my God. This is such a mess. We got a ton of questions. We're so professional. <laughs> Aren't it? Okay. I think I'm We're good. back. Um, well, for me, it was two things. It was actually getting the courage up to leave the show because to your point of like getting addicted to the drama, I was so addicted to, you know, my identity was the show and I was working 14 hours a day. I mean, I didn't really date anybody successfully all through my twenties because we got up at three 30 in the morning and had to be at work at like four 30. And then I did the Sarah show after, and then we had to go home and show prep for three hours. So it was like, and then I had to go to bed at seven 30 or eight o'clock to get up at three 30. So it was, it, for me, it was getting the courage up to leave. And I can remember, you know, going to therapy saved me, which, you know, you have your own experience of recovery. My therapist was the one that basically said, like I said, in the other episodes this isn't a normal work environment this is you know he his behavior is not normal you know something mentally is going on with him to behave like this this isn't how work environments function so you know finally getting the courage up to leave and getting out of that situation and then it took me like I was saying to you before we started probably three or four years before I even got to a place where I could like think about forgiving him forgiving management and beginning to look at it from a place of like you know, I had good experiences there. Kane taught me a lot. Like I, it, it, I was, it was at least four years. I was so consumed with being so angry with him and just, and, and the same thing, friends would send me things like, oh, Kane show doing this or whatever. And I would say to them, stop. I, I don't, I don't care. I don't want to know anything about what's going on with him. I don't care if he's syndicated nationwide. Um, so I did, I had to learn some boundaries too, but it, it took me a long time. I feel like to get to a place of like, looking at him as somebody who really, you know, it was sad. Like it was sad what he, what happened to him and, and it only got worse. And then being grateful for the gifts that he did give me. Yeah, very much so. No, I, I totally agree and can relate. <laughs> you know, that's the one odd thing about my situation is, you know, he's on the radio. So like I literally had to stop having the radio on in the car. Couldn't listen to anything that I couldn't hear a commercial with his ad. I remember, you know, I like watching the Today Show on NBC4, but they would run the the ads for the Kane show. And it's just like, oh my God, you're everywhere. But um, yeah, definitely. And you know, the funny thing about like, when, when do you feel like you can heal and not be angry anymore? I felt like it was, it, my turning point was once I started finding some happiness on my own mm -hmm. and some peace, that then I was able to see him with a little more empathy. You know, one of the things they teach you in recovery is to let go of resentments and um, to actually like pray for the person that you're so angry about and the yes. things that you want for your life to pray for for them. So when I would be, you know, at nighttime doing my, you know, little prayers by, you know, the side of the bed, um, I would say, you know, I pray that he finds love. I pray that he finds joy. I pray that he finds healing and forgiveness of himself. Anything that I wanted for me, I started asking for for him. And it really softened my heart some towards him. 
Um, Isn't that so I'm telling hard. you, everybody should go through <laughs> 12 steps. It's so helpful. And it's free therapy. <laughs> Isn't that so hard, though, to pray for him? Oh, my God. Because my therapist, you know, it's funny. I, I had such a great therapist. And she, a lot of the steps of 12 steps, she integrated into therapy in different ways. But she would say that to me, too. What would it be? In therapy, we would sit there. She'd be like, what would it be like to wish him well? I'm like, I can't do it. <laughs> but you eventually, years in, I was like, I can do it. I could, you know. But at first, man, wow, you would pray for him. That's yeah. And, you know, even if you don't mean it when you say it, because I probably I definitely didn't mean it the first few times. Eventually, you start to mean the words. Um, so, yeah, just even if, if you even if you can't get there yet to mean it, just the act of saying it is like the first little step on that journey um, and finding for somebody that may not deserve it. But that's kind of the key in your own healing. All right. I'm curious if you can elaborate on this because I liked this question. This person wanted to remain anonymous. Um, you know, absolutely. I love this interview. Thank you so much for Natasha sharing her raw feelings. My child's father passed away as well. And I felt so much guilt for feeling relief. Um, I wondered if maybe Natasha could talk more about this. Does she still carry guilt about Kane passing? Um, does she feel guilty about having this kind of dichotomy of, you know, you guys feel a little bit of relief that he's passed, but also guilty. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, man, that's a great question and um, a really tough situation. You know, my heart goes out to her. Um, I do still have a hard time with that, um, with, gosh, it's so hard to, maybe verbalizing it is actually what really helps is, is getting it out there that, yeah, my life is better now. Um, you know, my kids have been through this tremendous loss and I would give anything to have their father back to do, you know, to be in their lives, to walk them down the aisle when they get married. You know, I think about these things and that he's not going to be there, but I don't want him back as he was. Cause it's like, that's the fantasy of, yeah, I wish he was back, but not as he, and not as he was, that was just, it was hurting all of us. And it's okay to say now that we're, you know, in a better place now um, without him. It, it's, it seems like it should seem so wrong to say, but I think being able to own your feelings for what they are and not judge your feelings is, has been really helpful that why wouldn't I feel that way? I mean, my gosh, I'm not, you know, a saint, Mother Teresa. I'm obviously still going to have some feelings. And, and outside of that, that's just logically what it was. It was a really painful, awful environment for the three of us, me and both of my girls. And now that one piece that was causing the pain has been removed. So, of course, we're going to feel better. And um, I don't think she should, she should feel ashamed and guilty for feeling that way. It is it is a strange feeling though, isn't it? I mean, and and we touched on this in the first two podcast series we did. It, it's the same, I think, how we all felt that we're on the show. It's like, oh my God, we never have to worry about him popping back up when we least expect it ever again. Like, you know, but also at the same time, like his life ended in his early 40s. I mean, it's just, it is a weird feeling. It's very weird feeling. It's it's incredibly sad. Um, and you know, I I oh. I thought you were going to make me cry with this one. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's incredibly sad that he didn't get the chance to 
to be better and to get better and to experience healing. Um, but I can't change that. I can't do anything about that now. And I was telling you this the other day, Sarah, and it probably sounds like I'm crazy, but it's crazy because this is a person that I had so much hate and anger toward out of anybody in the world was causing me more pain than anybody on this earth ever has. But now that he's passed, I like talk to him, which is crazy. I tell, I talk to him, you know, like, oh my gosh, you would just roll over about this one. You know, I'm doing this podcast with Sarah, uh, but in like a friendly way, like I feel like he would be proud and understand now that he's free from all of the, the anger and the mental illness that couldn't keep him from being like a normal loving person before. I don't know. Now that he's free from that, I feel like, gosh, I like him a lot better now. I know. That's awful. That's awful but yeah, I don't know. I, I have a better relationship with him now. No, I feel you. I mean, I think the same about him. I think he is totally free. And, and like I said to you and, ah, oh, now I'm going to cry. But I do think he was, a, he really wanted to be that good person. I think it was just, you could see, again, I couldn't see it when I was in it, but looking back, you could see the mental illness taking over, you know, and the addiction taking over because when we did first all start, you know, he had these big dreams. He was like, we're going to, you know, replace the Elvis Duran show in New York City. We're going to be the biggest radio morning show. This is what I want to do. Then I'm taking my family. I'm going to go back to Tampa and you guys can buy houses there and come when you want. You can do it. I mean, he just, he really was like, he did you know, he wanted all those goals and like he wanted all of us to do it together, but you could see as the years went on, like, and so many factors, you know, like we've talked about, I think there were a lot of people around him that enabled him, whoever it was, you know, but then there was his own clear issues of narcissism and, you know, addiction, all that stuff that took over. Um, and then it just, you know, I just, he never got that chance. Like you said, he couldn't fight it, I think at the end. Yeah, if I could, if I could go back in time and um, man, I know it's like we just wanted the show to be huge, to be this massive, massive success, to be syndicated and everything you just said, move back to Tampa and like those things ended up being what were our downfall. Yeah. You know, I wish I could have hit the pause button back when it was just DC and we were doing well and we had, you know, okay money, but it wasn't huge and massive because that's when it, even though like we we're hitting all of our goals in an upstream, we were just going downhill at the same time as him as a person and us as a family. It's like the fame, the money, the ego, it just, the people that are then around you that, you know, don't have your best interest at heart. It was just... It was just a sad, toxic situation that those things that we wanted so much ended up being our downfall. This was another question which I thought was great, and you knowing Kane better than anyone. The question is for Natasha. Natasha, did you ever feel like Kane knew that he was ill? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I think he knew deep down. Um, you know, as far as like the mental health went, because he, he did want to get help. He did, you know, want us to go to counseling. He did want to see a psychiatrist. So I think he knew there was something, but whether it was, you know, this was a narcissistic person we were talking about. So whether it was his ego that just couldn't quite let him realize how 
bad the situation was or that he had this weakness. Um, I'm not sure if he ever could fully recognize it. You know, it's interesting. I, um, after he passed and I was, oh gosh, it's going to make me cry too. Um, you know, dealing with like the life insurance company and everything. And they had told me that, um, you know, he passed in March that the December before he tried to up his life insurance policy, tried to double it. I think he knew that he was, that he was so sick and it just kills me that he wanted to take care of us. Um, but that he was knew it was that bad and he wouldn't ask for help. I guess he had just like given up at that point. But so I think he knew it at the end, how sick he was. Um, losing the show was like the nail in the coffin for him. I mean, that show was his whole world. So when he lost it, I think he just gave up on everything. But um, he definitely seemed to seem to know it at the end. But I guess instead of wanting to get help, he just gave up. Oh, it, yeah, it's, it's so hard to know, right? I mean, because he was such a smart person too, like so smart. Yeah, in everything academically and, um, you know, strategizing wise. And yeah, I mean, just what I would hear from other people the last like year of his life, it, it was so bad, you know, just so isolated, like you said, in his home and the addiction was so bad at that point. Um, but God, that is, that kind of gives you goosebumps that maybe he did know something, you know, he just had feeling. That, yeah, there was no reason for him to try and change the life insurance then, um, you know, the girls were plenty taken care of with, with the policy that was already out. So he had to have known. I don't, he had to have. Do you hear that? That is the sound of the brand new and delicious you natural conception for her in their juicy strawberry gummy flavored. Oh my, this is now my favorite thing to take. It's a fertility aid. If you haven't heard about them, they are unbelievable with thousands of five-star reviews on Amazon. Go and read them for yourself. And they're famous for their conception for her and conception for him formula, which Schman, my hubby, has been taking for over a month because it takes two to tango. Conception for her fertility aid is a well-researched baby. They have ingredients like ashkawanda, zinc, magnesium that can help you on that journey to have a healthy baby. So what are you waiting for? Go and order now. You're going to love it and I want to hear from you. Check out You Natural on Amazon and use code FRASER20 for 20% off Conception for Her, Conception for Him, and the Conception Bundle. That's EU Natural on Amazon or follow the link on our website for 20% off Conception for Her, Conception for Him, and the Conception Bundle with the promo code Fraser 20. That's F R A S E R. The number's 20. Want your life back? Order Hungry Root. It's actually as simple as that. Truly, Hungry Root is the best meal kit service I have ever worked with because they have meals that take 12 minutes. Guys, if you are a busy mom like I am, KJ now just started swim lessons. And on the night that he has swim lessons, we're not home until six. I'm trying to make dinner, trying to get him rested and down for bedtime. When I see that number 12, and I know in 12 minutes I can have a healthy meal, I'm turned on. All right. <laughs> you will be too. Hungry Roots website, so easy to use as well. You just go, you can type in a type of cuisine or if you like chicken, or you can do preset where you tell them you're vegetarian, keto, 
or you're a meat lover. Right now, get 40% off. My listeners are getting 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash TSFS and get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash TSFS. Don't forget to use my link so they know who sent you and get 40% off right now and free veggies for life. 10 years ago, I lost 60 pounds mindful eating, and today I have kept the weight off. I never think about food. I never count calories. Honey, I don't even use one of those darn trackers or apps. I live with food freedom, and I want that for you if you are ready and you want it. And that's where My Optimal Body comes into play. Visit MyOptimalBody.com to request an appointment, and be sure to let them know that the Sarah Fraser Show sent you so you can qualify for a free personalized assessment plus a bonus free 30-day supply of of their gut repair product when you sign up for a customized plan. That is myoptimalbody.com to request an appointment. Why I wanted to partner with Dr. Applin is because he is a doctor that gets to the cellular and gut reason of why you can't lose weight and keep it off. They also work with your mental capacity as well. So many of us are emotional eaters. They address that and their clients see long-term success. If you are ready to lose weight, keep it off, and you don't want to do crazy Ozempic, myoptimalbody.com and tell them the Sarah Fraser Show sent you. How ironic. I love this. Got a new podcast for you to listen to. Yes, I do. It's the Dr. John Delaney Show. Schman and I were actually playing a clip from Dr. John's podcast because he was doing the topic of are youth travel sports ruining families? Well, Dr. John Delaney has over 20 years of sitting with families and dealing with hurting people and mental health issues. He has a PhD in counseling. Delaney walks alongside real people as they navigate tough decisions. And this is actually something that I really enjoy about his show. It's caller driven. I feel like I'm going to have to get a collar-driven show, Dr. John. I love this. Anyway, listen to the Dr. John Delani show wherever you get your podcast, or you can follow the link in the description of this podcast episode. I always make it very, very easy to find my sponsors and people that I partner with. So start downloading and listening today to the Dr. John Delani podcast. Enjoy. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it up into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Okay, what about this question that um, this is actually... um, from Ella. She wrote, how do you deal with someone who is always projecting their issues on you, making it always seem like you're the problem? I, this, is such, oh. this is such a good one because my answer to it was quitting and getting away from him. But <laughs> what did you do? Wow. That is, that is a tough one, man. Um, I think, you know, the first the first important piece is recognizing that because you and I both know when you're in the middle of like a gaslighting type of situation, you are, you start to believe the hype. You start to think I am crazy. I am the problem. You know, if I would just work harder, if I would just, you know, support him more, you know, do this or do that, then, 
then this will solve the problem because that's what he's telling me. So once you can get to the point where you, you have that light bulb moment that maybe it's not me, that's huge. But, um, I was telling you this, I remember when, um, I was in rehab and I think I mentioned on the other podcast, like he was trying to sabotage it and he was, it was so dumb. Like he was doing stuff like, calling in and trying to speak to my personal counselor and tell her all these awful things about me that weren't even true. Or he would try, he tried to block the health insurance from paying for it. So I would get kicked out. But then at the same time, he was trying to get them to keep me longer. Like he was just, you know, like just sabotaging None the of experience. It, yeah. Made sense. And yeah. Counselor and just in tears, I was like, I don't understand. This is where he wanted me to be. Like, why won't he, why won't let he let me get better? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, lots of times when you have two sick people and one of them then gets better, the other one all of a sudden realizes I can't keep projecting my stuff on that person and take the attention off of me and say that they're the problem because now they're getting better. So now the spotlight's going to be on me and people are going to see me for what I am. So I need to not let them get better so I can continue to project everything onto them so people won't look at me. And the same thing applies when it's like gaslighting and somebody always saying something's wrong with you. It's because they they don't want everybody to see that it's actually them. So as soon as you can have that light bulb moment and acknowledge that just because they're saying it doesn't make it true, I feel like is huge. Oh my God. And I was telling you this, one of the things that I feel guilty is about uh, on my time on the show is like with us, it was it was always like one person was the problem, right? So for years, and I feel guilty because Sammy, and this was somebody else's question. Someone else's question was, did Kane treat men badly too? My experience was yes. I mean, my experience was when we first started, he, Sammy was the target. And like when he threw keys, they were at Sammy. When he kicked a trash can and, and broke a Shakira picture that was in the studio, that was towards Sammy. Um, you know, and I don't know. And Sammy, <laughs> Sammy is amazing, but like he was late, you know, and that would like set Kane off, you know. And so, like, he, what a couple of times, like Kane had gotten in his face, and like Sammy had cried, and I just. I always felt so bad. Like I never stood up for Sammy because Sammy was so young. He was 20. He wasn't even 21 when he started the show. And he was, he'd moved here from Iowa, like all by himself. His family was away. He didn't have anyone. And he dropped out of college for the Kane show. So I felt so guilty for years, never sticking up for him. Um, and once Sammy left, because it was always about Sammy was the problem, Sammy was the problem, and the show's going to be great once Sammy goes. And then, of course, Sammy left, and then it was like, I was the problem. You know, I was the one that didn't show prep enough, didn't write enough War of the Roses stories, didn't write enough cane scams, didn't do this, didn't do that. And then he would start CCing our bosses, like, you know, Sarah didn't show prep enough. She's, you know, trying to do things at Fox 5. So it, it like, then I was the problem, then I left, you know, and it just kept going from a person to a person. So I felt the same way until Danny left. I thought it was us. And then once Danny finally left and Mel, I was like, okay, you know, I mean, nobody can deny now there's something it's him, you know, because nobody can make it work there. <laughs> yeah. Nobody could deny it except I feel like he still got away with it. There's, yeah. I don't know. It, he was a master. I used to call him Teflon. I'm like he just slides through every one of these situations. I don't know how. Yeah. 
Um, people, okay, this has brought us kind of to the show and I think like where people stand and where how our feelings are towards people that are still there. Because people had a lot of questions like, are we still friends with, you know, Mel, Sammy, all that on the show? I'm happy to speak to that. I mean, I, I speak to everyone except for, you know, Eric and there's no hard feelings. I just don't see Eric. I, I haven't spoken to him for years and we talked briefly when Kane passed. But then after that, you know, it's been so many years since we were friends that I don't have any connection. You know, I wish him all good things, but I just, we're not friends anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if you want to speak to that or is there anyone you talk to, you don't talk to or, or uh, how you feel? You know, it's funny. You know, I spoke about this during the podcast that, you know, once he announced our divorce on the radio and, you know, I was, I was outside the circle, nobody would speak to me. There was not one person, even though we were all such a family before, that would stick up for me, that sent me a message, that tried to, you know, even if it was off the air, show some support. Um, but then once everybody started to experience it themselves, then some people started coming around. Um, Danny and I have spoken throughout the years and remained friends. Um, I haven't talked to her in a little while, but I know she's going through some stuff, but I just wish her the best. Um, you and I are the closest out of out of everybody. Um, there's nobody from the morning show now that I would say I'm friends with. Um, Mel has been really supportive and sweet and sent me some nice messages. Um yeah, you know, I really the only friend like I have over at iHeart is um, Toby, and I don't even think he does Hot ninety nine five stuff. Does he? Doesn't he host another morning show? Yeah, I don't think he's a part of ninety nine five anymore. Yeah. yeah, but he was part of that world before, and he's been really supportive since Peter died. But that's that's about it. You know, I think um, I don't know. And it's they were left with some really big shoes to fill, and good luck with that. But yeah, not really a part of my world. And um, you and I were talking about this too. I know like you and I didn't talk for years because it was just, and I said this to Eric, you know, I just I like didn't want to be anywhere near Kane because I, I felt like he was such a manipulator. It was like, I understood, and I'm not saying Eric ever did this or anything, but I always felt like anybody that was around him or knew him or had to associate with him, you know, like, I don't know. He was just a master of finding things out like we've talked about and then like using that against you or, or popping up out of nowhere. You know, he was so, I don't know if vindictive is the word because it really was a mental illness, but it felt so vindictive in ways like I never even spent time thinking about. So I know for me, like once you and I, like once I just was like, oh, I can't even get anywhere near him. And I never spoke to anybody that yeah. was around him. Um, you know, even like Toby included, because I'm like, mm -mm, I just, you know, you just don't know. No, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for me, uh, I don't want to tell any stories and just, you know, like throw people under the bus because there's just no good reason to. But after, um, you know, he announced everything about the divorce, you know, everybody talked about me badly on the air, everybody that was left and off the air. They did some really horrible things to me at his bidding, um, I guess, just to want to be in his favor. But they absolutely um, were a part of tormenting me, um, every single one of them. So I don't I'm not angry anymore that I need to, you know, like deal with it. It was in the past and it happened, but I don't 
I don't see us being all buddy, buddy friends now. And, and I also haven't really gotten any apologies for why they treated me the way they did. Oh, yeah. People wanted to know that. Has anyone from um, Kane's past ever apologized to either of you guys? Um, what's your what's yeah, your experience? I, got, I did get John and I had a phone call right after Peter passed and, and he did give me some sort of an apology, although it was also a lot of, you know, I didn't know it wasn't true. You know, a lot of excuses as t- as to why he did the things he did. But he he did give me some sort of apology. Um, I never talked to Eric. Um, yeah, there were there were a couple of people that sent apologies after he died, saying, "Oh, now I can tell you that you know I shouldn't have thought these things about you." But yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, uh, you know, you and I talked about being painted as crazy. And I always I feel like now, too, I don't even I mean, I don't get an apology from anybody or I don't need one. You know, I feel for people that are still yeah. in that situation. And, you know, I know what he was like. And and look, I mean, they w- it was an open saying at, at Hot 99.5 when I was there. You're with us or you're against us. So. I know what that's like if you're in it, you know, there's a fear and that's what they want. You know, they want you to kind of be afraid to go against the grain, you know. Um, So I try to have compassion for people, I think, still in it, we're in it. And it's hard. They're trying to save their jobs. It's it's a whole complicated thing. But yeah, I know. I know. You know, the funny thing is, is I I actually have more empathy for people peter than i do for them which is the crazy thing because he was the the puppeteer behind the strings you know pulling their strings making them do his bidding but um i guess i know how sick he was so i have more compassion for him but i don't know there's probably some some anger there i should tease out and go to therapy over (laughs) let go of at some point (laughs) if i'm being totally honest (laughs) Oh, well, please, me too. I mean, it's a work in progress. I mean, always, right, for all of us. Um, well, look, I, I have to ask you, just because you and I both got, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of messages, and I don't even know who Skittles oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> but but, yeah. but now, I, now I need to see Skittles. But people, I guess, okay, so people want to know if Intern John, why Intern John has Skittles, who is like, I guess, the dog that you guys all had or something? Yeah. So this is so funny. And I, I received so many messages about this. Skittles I wasn't going to address it, but there's just been so many. I feel like it would be really weird to say nothing about it now. But um, Skittles is an adorable border, border collie, a dog that the girls had with Peter. So it was Peter's dog with the girls at their house. Got it. Okay. That now, so, okay. Uh, all right, I'm just going to lay it out there, and people can take it however they want. Um, there's no, like, big bad villain here. It's just a crappy situation, I think, for everybody. But basically what happened is um, after Peter went to the hospital and the paramedics took him away, I brought the girls and the dog back with me. You know, they were very upset, and I love dogs and everything. And so, you know, it just made sense. Let's keep him with the girls. The thing you have to understand about border collies and that um, like herding breeds is they're, they can get overwhelmed, overstimulated really easily. Okay. And so, and my house is complete chaos. Um, So the girls came in and Skittles came in and I think it was just too much for him. Like he didn't know where Peter was. He was in a brand new house. Harry was like two or three at the time and was running all over and he just kind of short circuited a little and he nipped 
he didn't bite Harry, but he nipped at the air. Um, I think he's just, it was too much stimulation and too much change. So um, I called the um, the nanny who was helping to take care of, the, of Peter's house while Peter was in the hospital. And I said, hey, can I bring him back? You know, can you keep him because this happened and it's just too much right now at this moment and I'll get him again when I can. So I brought him back to the nanny and he stayed back at the house. Um, Peter's dad then drove down to be with Peter in the hospital. So Skittles stayed at the house with him. Um, then after, after Peter passed, um, had to figure out what to do with the dog. And I had told, um, Peter's dad that I wanted to keep Skittles. You know, I need to figure out a way to bring him back to talk to some behaviorists and vets and figure out the situation. Cause obviously I can't have him biting my kid, but I thought we could work through it. So I actually, um, cause John had been very helpful with, if there's anything I can do, you know, for the family, um, I want to help out. So I asked him a favor and I said, can you keep the dog for me temporarily um, until I can figure out a way to like incorporate him into the house, like slowly adjust him? And he said, absolutely. You know, he's more than happy to. So Skittles went to go stay with John at my request. Then after, I don't know, maybe it was a few months. Um, I had been talking to, you know, it was a lot of chaos because Peter had just died. We had to go through the house. The girls were in extreme trauma. You know, everything was nuts. Um, But I didn't forget about the dog. And I talked to my vet. I talked to a behaviorist. And they said, you know, oh, well, here's the, well, yeah, let me just keep going with it in this direction. So I talked to them and they said, yeah, you know, there's some things you can do. He may just always be like, he may bite a kid. We don't know. But we can try and do some things like have him meet Harry, my little one um, at a park, you know, somewhere outside of the house, you know, like, uh, you know, or back at the other house. There's just some ways to try and see if we could ease him into it. Cause the thing is when I was going over, it took weeks to go through Peter's house. I would bring Harry with me and Harry and Skittles would play in the house and get along fine in Peter's house. It was when we took Skittles out. So I finally, um, I texted John and I said, okay, I'm ready to start adjusting, acclimating Skittles to bring him back. Let's set up a time to meet at a park and, you know, start doing what my vet recommended. And the way I remember it is I didn't get a reply and I wasn't sure what was going on. And then I got, um, I think finally he told me something like, you need to talk to um, Peter's dad about this. Oh, I remember. He said um, it was very just like business-like. He's like, as Peter's dad is the executor of the estate, you need to go through him. And I was like, what? Um, So then what I heard from Peter's dad was that, I guess, um, the nanny had tried to bring Skittles to her house and she has a grandbaby and Skittles did the same thing and nipped at the grandbaby. And then I think John had told the father-in-law that he thought Skittles was going to bite people or kids. Um, So my father-in-law, Peter's dad, was very worried that somehow he was going to be responsible. He was responsible for this dog as he was the manager of the estate and that somehow the dog was part of the estate and that he couldn't in good conscience send the dog to be with me thinking that it would put my son in danger. 
So I went back and forth with him several times. I put him in touch with my vet. I wrote so many emails begging him. We can't not get the dog back. Like the girls are grieving their dad and they're asking for their dog. Like we got to try. Like we can't, I can't do that to them too. And um, I, I, I just, I got a no back that, um, you know, he was too worried that Skittles was going to bite my son. Um, and that he said that Skittles was very happy with John and was already settled in and that they were, you know, a nice little family together now. And he didn't want to remove him from that because the dog was happy. So it was a crummy situation. I understand where my father-in-law, ex-father-in-law was coming from. I strongly vehemently disagreed and said we had to try. Um, you know, there were things that the vet was saying we could try before we made that decision and tried saying like, you know, I'm the one who took the dog in. This should be my decision. But um, John became very close with um, Peter's dad during that time. And I don't know what conversations were had other than I got a no, he decided to leave Skittles with John because that was better for everybody. Got it. Okay. There you go. There we know what happened to Skittles. So people, people have been very curious about them. Okay. So, you know, people, people wanted to know that, that aspect of the story. So I think we now know, you know, everything with Skittles. Um, I wanted to kind of move on though to some advice because so many people wanted your advice. So many people want, especially when it came to the court system. So this was a great question that was posed to you. Um, you know, I love the Natasha interview. I'm just so proud to, of Natasha and it's great to hear she's doing well. Could Natasha talk more about navigating the court system? How would she do it now? How would Natasha navigate the court system now? Any red flags? Wowza. Yeah, I so appreciate that question because I would do it all completely differently. Um, you know, I mentioned some of this before in the other podcast, but, um, you know, just about trusting your gut and no matter what these attorneys are telling you or your ex is telling you, it doesn't make it true. You know, I don't know how many times they would tell me, oh, if you fight this, you're going to not get any money or you're going to lose the kids or like, you know, just oh, it was so frustrating. I wish I would have just um, listened to my instinct on situations, but navigating the court system is tough. But um, I did a lot of, after the fact, like Googling my questions, like some of them, like I was wondering, uh, I, okay, here's an example. So my car um, that I was driving, um, okay, so like, here's a, here's a good question. Um, at the time I was driving a car and Peter's name was on the lease and he, <laughs> on one of my uh, reels, I'll put up, I'll tell the whole story because it's a pretty funny story, but he um, kind of repossessed the car himself and then said I couldn't have it back because his name was on the lease. And I thought, well, that makes sense. I guess it's true. Turns out now, like I've Googled the question to look it up and it's not true. Like usually the court system finds like whichever vehicle you were using, uh, you can continue to keep whether or not it's his name or your name on the lease. So many things about like the house. Can I stay in the house if my name isn't on the title? What if I can't afford to pay the mortgage? Does he have to continue to contribute? These are all things that I kind of just because you're so scared and you're so broken, like right after you separate from, you know, this person that you loved, it's a painful experience. 
that when these types of icky situations come up, you can't always see clearly through them. So when I had, you know, his attorneys or him telling me like, nope, you know, you can't be in the house or you can't have the car or, you know, I'm going to have the kids on this day, even though it's supposed to be your day. I just kind of took his word still as truth um, or his attorney's words. Because I thought, why would these people like they can't flat out lie, right? No, they can't flat out lie. So if I could go back, I would trust my gut more and okay. I would educate myself, even if it's just going online and Googling in the state of Maryland, you know, um, what do I do if, um, you know, my kid's dad picks them up and it's really my day, you know, that type of thing, whatever the situation is, um, I just start trying to learn about it because it's actually all out there. And I don't know why it didn't dawn on me to just, I guess, because I thought I'm paying these lawyers, I should probably listen to them. You think you're paying experts, it on right? Me to um, was there any, okay, so aside from Google, was there a person that kind of stepped in and started making you think like you had more power than what you thought? Was it recovery? Was it, was there a book? Like, was there anything tangible where somebody started making you realize? Because I always think it's a lot of work, but it's interesting. I think if you can represent yourself sometimes when it comes to family court, you know, if mm-hmm. you're in a good mental place yeah. to do it, a lot of times you can end up getting a lot more than you think. Um, it's Yeah, it's called being pro se when you represent yourself without an attorney. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it unless, so I talked about, you know, I finally settled with him because I didn't have any more money. I kind of wish in that situation I had thought about, well, I can continue to fight him and represent myself um, sure. instead of just settling. But it's it's good to have an attorney's advice as well if you can afford to have one. But the thing is, it's so easy to rack up a ton of legal bills doing things that you could be doing yourself. Um, so you can try to keep the cost down by, even if you have to write your own court motion, <laughs> cat. Um, <laughs> cat just walks Mine across the cat. Um, there's a lot of it you can do yourself and maybe just use the attorneys. It's minimal as possible. But um, honestly, Sarah, I wish there had been somebody or some magic book I had read in the moment, but all of this, I, learned after the fact Mm, um, and after it was too late. Um, I think it was, it was towards the end, you know, Peter was constantly taking me to court constantly. And after recovery, I kind of got the self confidence that I don't have to do what he says or what his attorney says. And I just went through so many life experiences where, um, I went along with what him or the experts told me, well, this is what a judge is going to make you do. And then in hindsight, I started to realize as I just learned more and grew more confident that that may not have necessarily been true. Um, So a lot of it was more after the fact. Um, But what if I could do it differently, man, I would trust my gut. I would not have settled and caved into things that deep down I felt uncomfortable about, you know, pick what your deal breakers are. If you want to, you know, have your kids every Wednesday is important to you for some reason, like then stick to it. You know, if it's important to you to stay in the house, if it's important to you to have Christmas, like just I would have stuck with my gut on the things that I got that icky feeling. I really don't want to give this up. And I remember the lawyers telling me, well, but you can change it later or a judge is going to make you. And in hindsight, that was totally bad advice. Mm. Um 
Yeah. I know, hard, hard to figure that out. It is but, hard. but I started think I started recording different reels with like the five things that you should absolutely do before you separate and five things you should do once you separate. Um, how to deal with um, disparagement of the ex. You know, the ex is talking badly about you. There's so many things that I feel passionate about getting out there. So I'm just going to start putting them out as small things. Or maybe you and I, if we keep doing podcasts, can yeah. throw some of them out there. But um, yeah, there's there's so much to it, but it is manageable. You can get what you what you need um okay and this this maybe you can talk about how much you want to speak to this but people had an interesting question how Kane Peter was about you getting remarried and um you know then obviously you talked about being a single mom and um but you were co-parenting in this beautiful place um with with Harry so I thought maybe you could talk about those together how was somebody like Kane who we know had mental health and addiction issues when you got remarried was that like so stressful um yeah you know he the funny thing is he didn't really um he didn't say a lot to my face about it like he didn't act like he was jealous but um I definitely have learned, especially since he passed and people have been coming out of the woodwork like old babysitters and stuff for him and telling me stories that he was very, very obsessed. And I think me getting remarried just like threw a stick of dynamite on the situation, to be honest, because that's when things really got so much worse all over again. Um, his old babysitter messaged me after our podcast came out and said, like, he used to drive by my house at night all the time once I got remarried and I was engaged. So yeah, um, I can definitely see how, and you know, he would do things like tell the girls awful things about their stepdad. Um, you know, um, my, my Harry's dad and I, you know, we weren't living in luxury. We were certainly very comfortable, but we didn't have a lot of extra money to spend. So he did things like he sued me to that. I wasn't allowed to Mm. have my website anymore, you know, just things to like get at our marriage and break it down that, you know, unfortunately it did have an impact. Um, but the one good news, good thing out about it and the good thing about going through such a horrible co-parenting divorce and situation is, you know, um, Harry's dad and I saw firsthand how awful that was for the girls and for us and decided we are going to do the exact opposite, you know? Yes. This is broken, and unfortunately, we're going to have to split. But, man, are we going to co-parent like champions? So we have made such an effort because there's still, you know, icky feelings, even with the most amicable uh, separation. It's painful. But we said, especially in front of the kids, but even for real, we're going to stay friends. You know, we're always going to put the kids first, um, the girls and Harry. You know, we're going to try and have family dinners together still, you know. Once every couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate holidays together because nobody wins in a divorce, especially the kids, worst of all kids. But you can kind of taper that pain that they're going through by trying to be friends and trying to to co-parent with respect for one another. Because if you can show each other kindness and respect, the kids are going to see that. And I really think it makes a big difference. Considering I've done it both ways. Yeah, we've done it both ways. Um, okay, wait. I, I wanted to go back because that was actually another question people had for both of us is didn't Kane buy or steal your websites? Um, and you mentioned it there. 
Because that was, I think, I remember that, right? Wasn't that a big deal? Did, did what happened? What was the truth? Did he end up taking? Uh, yeah. So, um, well, like two things happened. Um, first, um, here's one of the things. Like this is just this one's quick and for free. But one of the tidbits that I'm putting up in my reels is change all your passwords. Like ah. as soon as you separate, change all of them. I hadn't thought to change the one for my website domain ownership of Little Pink Monster. Ah. So he transferred it to himself um, and wouldn't give it back, which is why I then had to start Little Pink Monsters, plural. Um, so yeah, he took that one. And then he took me to court years later. I, my followers probably remember I posted about how he was keeping the girls when it was my day. Um, and I was starting to tell the truth of my situation. So he decided he was going to take away my Instagram and my little pink monsters and took me to court over it, which, of course, the judge said, dude, free speech. She's like, she's allowed to say this stuff. You don't have a non-disclosure agreement. So it cost me a lot of money. But, you know, I got out of that one. But yeah. Yeah, that's what happened to me. What happened with yours? I don't think I realized that it happened to you. Yes. Well, when we were, so for a period of time, I did the show Sarah, Ty, and Mel on what was DC's 107.3. Oh, it was, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, it was famously mixed 107.3 for years, and now it's been sold. Anyway, so he, I don't know if he bought, I don't know if DC's 107.3 or maybe he I don't know, but he bought something very close to DC's 1073.com. I think maybe he did buy that and he rerouted it to the definition of failure, like in dictionary.com. And um, so when people would search, it would go to just like failure, which was kind of funny, actually. And then, um, but, you know, I, um, but then he ended up buying um, Mel and Ty, who was our co-host, their names. Um, and I do believe, I'm not sure what happened, but I do believe they got them back, I think. So I, I don't know. I think because I, I don't think you that can... he rerouted Mel's to like the definition of shit or something awful like that. Was that true? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think, I think you're thinking the def, I think you're thinking the DC's 107.3, but he was squatting maybe, on theirs. I or think maybe that's how I heard it trickling down through the gossip, the radio the gossip. Go- yeah. yeah. Um, and that was, that was so, the other thing. Oh yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, I just said so crappy. You know, it's like, we can laugh about it now because he was really clever in his ways to terrorize people. But like, my gosh, like who does that? Well, also who does that? I mean, your show is already number one. So it was, it was like, God, you know, aren't you, don't you have things to focus on other than what we're doing or building? But, you know, I'm sure they were very worried that we had this morning show and, you know, Sammy well, was on email. Like I don't talked know. About, nobody could be bigger. Nobody could be happy without him. You know, I wasn't allowed to be happy with him. You weren't allowed to be successful or happy. Um, and he would stay obsessed about it. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter if his show was number one and you guys were or weren't a threat. It was that he could never let go. Absolutely. Um, final question, although honestly, we could do eight more parts and maybe we will. We're having a good time doing all this. Yes. Um, someone wrote, Natasha, I'd love to know your life goals now. How has your trajectory shifted? Wow. Um that's really interesting. I mean, my life goals now, number one, are I'm in this blessing of a situation, you know, gosh, you're going to make me cry. (laughs) I was just this morning, I was watching a TV show and the woman was sleeping in her kid's bed. And I remembered a moment when 
the girls were supposed to be with me and he had kept them for me and I slept in Sam's bed because it was just like that unbelievable yearning and hurt when you want to be with your children and you can't. And I was thinking back to that and she was sitting on the couch with me, you know, watching TikTok videos. And I was like, oh my God, I have her. I have both of them every single day for the rest of their lives, you know? I need to live that. I need to savor that every single day that I have them now. You know, I'm never going to have to yearn to be with them on a Christmas or on their birthdays, you know, at least till they're 18 and out of the house in their own lives. Um, so I want, I want to savor that every single day beyond anything else. Um, oh, yeah. God, you're killing me. <laughs> no, then- it's true. It's true. I saw this thing this weekend. It was just scrolling through my Instagram feed and it said, um, remember when what you currently have is what you used to pray for. And uh, for me, that got me this weekend because I'm like, you know, yeah, all these, you know, I want all these other things to happen here in LA, but I'm like, remember when you just wanted to be in LA and now you're here? Like, that's the gift, you know? It's a, it's, yeah, we, it's amazing. We forget about it so quickly, but man, you nailed it. Absolutely. Um, but, um, yeah, like, man, I just feel like I have been waiting for a very long time to speak my truth and it just never quite felt right yet. And all of a sudden now I just like, man, when you asked me if I want to do the podcast, it was just like this peace and this release, like somebody saying now jump now. So I am just all about moving forward and using my story and my truth and everything that's happened, all the good, the bad, and the ugly to help somebody else. And I'm so excited we're doing a part three. It's maybe this is the way that it continues. If people want to keep hearing more or whether doing it through my Instagram or writing a book, I don't know the the medium yet, but that is my life goal is to use this to empower women to maybe not have to be quite as hopeless as I was. Yeah. And just to have a place, right, to, to go through everything because we are still women, you know, whether it is like an addiction, whether it's dealing with a spouse that has an addiction or mental health, you know, finally people are talking about mental health and how much, you know, I got that message from somebody this week. You know, what they loved about our podcast is seeing how much somebody who's mentally ill and not being treated properly, how it, it, it destroys everything around them, everything around them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Their own happiness, their job, their coworkers, their kids, their ex-spouses, their current sp- And it's like, man, you know, if we can get that message to somebody to just recognize it long before we recognize, because we had no idea. I, I had no idea for years that that was really what was going on with him. I mean, maybe, maybe this was always the plan, Sarah. Maybe this was the path. No, oh, you'll make me cry. <laughs> you'll make me cry. Ugh. Seriously, uh, I don't know because we're brought, like, working for now, so uh, just keep going. And gosh, you know that's one of the things I love about the. You know, we talked about the downside of social media, but I love the online community of women and friendship and supporting one another through everything that I mean you just talked about. And I think too, it's like it's just like this awesome, vulnerable, but honest place. I love it. And my brother called me this week. He's been sober for 11 years. 
And wow, kudos. I know, it's amazing, amazing. And he said to me too, it's like, he's like, and I think this is true, this is how I feel about Kane, is he's like, look at like what, how much Kane is still helping you. And I'm like, oh, that makes me cry. You know, it's like, oh, he can't be here, but, and I, I'm sure this isn't like probably the help that Kane wanted to give us, but, <laughs> but it's kind of cool that, you know, he's, helping you know part of Kane is helping other people and I think that's truly what you know in his heart he wanted to do it was through entertainment but sometimes it's a different way so I didn't Ugh. agree with you more I didn't agree with you more and I Ugh. I honestly do think that he's proud of us now and that we're both using everything that not the bad stuff necessarily that we went through or not only that but the good stuff that he taught us to yeah, yeah. some honor in his name now and some healing in his name now and you I, know, I feel like we tell the stories like the the controlling, manipulative stories. It's just like maybe red flags for people. You know, again, I, I do feel like he didn't. That wasn't who he was. But as it got worse and worse as the years went on, you know, that part just took over, of course. Right. Like, you know, untreated and all those things. So it's like I, I, I don't like talking negative about him anymore. But I think it's important to say those stories because when they were happening at the time, you know, again, I thought I was the catalyst for them. I didn't realize that there was an addiction issue here and really mental health issues that no one talked about. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. You think that you are completely alone in those moments. It's, it's incredible to me, like how, I don't know if it's, it's being selfish or what, but I just thought I'm the only person in the world going through this. Like nobody has felt pain like I feel right now. But now being able to speak about it and getting this response from all the amazing women that, you know, are giving us feedback is that I was telling one woman, I was like, you are not alone, but thank you for making me realize I'm not alone. Right. You know, yeah. just making me feel better. Um, yeah, man, it's just like, it's like this nice circle of love. It is. It is. Oh my God. And people continue. They're going to continue to reach out to both of us. Where can people follow you on Instagram and message you? And then we're just kind of said we've taken this one step at a time. So here's part three. We'll see what happens. What the, you know, people really wanted to part three. So we did that and we'll see from here where it goes. But where can people follow you? Um, follow me on Instagram at Ms. Pink Monster, M-S Pink Monster. And, you know, I started setting aside an hour a day where I just sit down and I go through my DMs and I go through comments and I read every single one and try to respond to every single one because that's what this is all about. So please, you know, don't think of me as, you know, like some person that's out there and unattainable. Send me a message. Let me know what you're going through and let me know what you'd want to hear here, you know. I would love to hear it, what people would like to see from us next and how we can help them. Oh my God, 110%. Wouldn't you love that? Yes. I mean, look, I'm I'm healing through it. I mean, it's like, because like you said, you know, you think you go along and you don't think there's any anger issues or resentment issues. And then something pops up or somebody and you're like, oh, I still have work to do around that, which is like, if we're all being honest, it's everybody's life journey, you know, it's different trigger things for people. So for me, it's like, you know, I think I do have some unresolved like grief around, you know, just things that I'm like letting out and talking about for the first time. And it's like, it's so good, you know, for everybody, I think listening and us sitting here. Yeah. Selfishly good for us too. Yes. (laughs) All right, Natasha, Alisa, we will see you soon. All right, Sarah Frazier. Bye.